If I call, will you come? When I cry, do you hear? I believe every tear is caught up by a faithful God. So I will cry until you come. Cast my cares into your arms. I can't see past the storm, but I'm counting on a faithful God. secure and all my days are yours i believe my god is like a fire defending me faithfully Trusting in a faithful God. So I will praise till you appear. You appear. And set your foot upon this shore. On this shore. And I declare that every foe is subject to my faithful And all my days are yours. I believe my God is like a fire defending me faithfully.
Well, praise the Lord. That's a great song. What a tremendous message. We appreciate that. Thank you. I, uh, well, I'm just uh, was thrilled to see uh, um, Brother Bill with us and his new bride. And uh, he's all the way from North Carolina. Brother Bill stood at a door for years and years greeting people. And uh, he remembered names. Well, I tell you what, that made an impact in people's lives. And uh, we've never forgotten that, Brother Bill, and continue to remember it uh, as though it was yesterday. But he would keep three by five cards, and he'd write the names of all the visitors. He'd go home and memorize names and make sure that when people came back, he knew their name. Boy, that makes a difference, doesn't it? What a difference it made. And uh, it's just good to see you, brother. I don't normally do that, but about, I think you were, he's the man with a plan for how many years up there at that door. I, I know there was a lot of other ushers, but... Everybody knew Brother Bill knows your name, and uh, that's a good place to be. So that was awesome, and we're so glad to see you today, Brother Bill, and your new bride. Boy, it's so wonderful to see you both. Um, in honor of Brother Bill, too. I think I better tell you about this couple that went for a meal at the Chinese restaurant. Now, again, you know, the singles already heard this. And they responded so amazingly that I knew that you would enjoy this. But uh, they went to this uh, Chinese restaurant and they ordered chicken surprise. Well, the waiter, he brings out the meal and he serves it in this like cast iron pot and it has this real heavy lid on it. And just as the wife's about to serve herself, she reaches over to grab that lid and all of a sudden the lid pops off just slightly and she sees just that quickly two beady eyes looking right at her. Then the lid just comes back down. She's like, whoa, what, what in the world was that? Did you see that? She says to her husband, did you see it? He said, I, I didn't see anything. She said, look, 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 look in that pot. He reaches over to lift the lid, and all of a sudden the lid pops up again. There's two little eyes looking right at him. Down goes the lid. Man, he's like, wait, we, we got to get to the bottom. This is messed up. And, and he says, waiter, waiter. Waiter, and the waiter comes over. Listen, what's going on? Do you see what's happening? Okay, we see these eyes, and then the lid flops back down. What's going on? Please, sir, says the waiter. What you order? The husband says, chicken surprise. Oh, so sorry. Bring you Peking duck. Okay. <laughs> I don't... I read about this guy. He said his wife was turning 32 in the next week. And so he told her, he said, don't get your hopes up, uh, don't get your hopes up for the birthday. After all, he said, uh, the celebrations are only going to last for about half a minute. What are you talking about, she said. Well, I said, it's your 32nd birthday. Yeah? Okay, I'm going to give you one more because I like this one. A guy, a guy walks into a dentist's office, right? He says, I think I'm a moth. The dentist says, well, you shouldn't be here. You'd be seeing a psychiatrist. The guy says, well, I am seeing a psychiatrist. Well, then what are you doing here? Well, your light was on. <laughs> okay. All right, okay, so they're not the best. But anyway, okay, your light was on. Okay, nonetheless, take your Bible, turn over to Revelation chapter 
21. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 5. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. In Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, we read, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless our time in the Word. May our hearts be encouraged, and may we be inspired to be better for you. Lord, if there be those that are without Jesus Christ, may they be compelled and convicted to receive and accept Him as Lord and Savior. Father, for those that know Jesus as Lord, may they recognize the wonderful hope that they have, and as a result, be inspired to live the life that you've called them to live. Now, Lord, we need you. We pray that, Father, you would just uh, Father, do away with all distraction. Help our minds, our hearts to be focused on the Word of God. Lord, may we be able to hear your Holy Spirit speak today. May we not be thinking about what's going to take place this afternoon. May we be focused on what's taking place right now in your house. Be glorified now in our lives. We desperately need you, for without you we can do nothing. Lord, fill me with your Holy Ghost, and Lord, may you just bless, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. As we look at the book of Revelation, we can't help but come to chapters 2 and 3. And in chapters 2 and 3, we see these literal churches that were actually existing in the day of John when he wrote. Those churches that existed in the, the day of John also are representative of the church age. As we begin to break those churches down, we recognize characteristics and qualities that apply to the church throughout history, the visible church, if you will. Not talking necessarily about the true church, but the professing church. And we see it through the ages, chapters 2 and 3. We arrive at chapter 4, and John, the Bible says, is taken up. What a picture of the rapture that is. John being an apostle that uh, often was associated with the church, and now here's John being taken up, and he's going to see the future. And so a door is opened, and up goes John, just like the saints will at the end of the church age. The rapture of the church, a catching away. And then in chapters 5 through 18, we, we recognize that there's a tribulation that's taking place. The Bible talks about it as the tribulation, and then the last three and a half years as the great tribulation. And so from chapter 5 to 18, while the tribulation is taking place on earth and being described in the Word of God, in heaven, the judgment seat of Christ is taking place. So we have the church age that's described for us in chapters 2 and 3. We have the rapture that's expressed in chapter 4. After the rapture, we see the tribulation kicks off, and we know it'll be a seven-year period, and it's being described for us in those chapters. And while it's taking place on earth, in heaven is the judgment seat of Christ. 
We arrive at chapter 19 and we see Christ returning with his saints. We know that back here in chapter 4 that Jesus Christ only comes as far as the clouds and raptures out the church. But in chapter 19, he literally makes his way to the earth where he establishes and sets up his kingdom. And so we have chapter 19, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. And then in chapter 20, we see Satan being bound. And the millennial reign kicks off 1,000 years. 1,000 years. At the end of that 1,000 years, we see Satan being loosed again. But it won't be long, he's bound again. So chapter 19, the return of Christ. Chapter 20, the millennial reign of Christ. Satan is bound, the millennial reign takes place, he's then released, he's bound again. Now this time cast into the bottomless pit, and we arrive at our text. What a day that will be. What makes this such a wonderful day? I'm so glad you asked. Number one, we shall see him face to face. Look at verse three of our passage. The Bible says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What a day that will be. Now we operate and we function by faith. But can I tell you, one day we'll no longer have to function by faith because we will have him in our sights. Oh, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Oh, that's true in this time in which we live, in this day and hour in which we live. But there's coming a day when we'll literally see Christ on the throne, we'll literally see him in the city, and we'll not have to live by faith anymore because he'll literally be in our presence. We'll see him face to face. Matter of fact, The Bible says if we fail to walk by faith, we cannot please God in this life that we live now. Hebrews 11, 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And by the way, if it's not of faith, not only can we not please God, but the Bible tells us it's sin. You say, what? Oh, yeah. The Bible says in Romans 14, 23, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Boy, faith plays such a major role today in the life in which we live as believers. Such a major role. But one day, he will literally be in our presence and we will be in his. We will see him face to face and we'll no longer need to have faith because he'll literally be there. Can you imagine, just for a moment, can you imagine even just being in the millennial reign of Christ? And right now we have leaders that sit on thrones, if you will, and and our principalities and powers today here on this earth. But hold on a second. One day Christ himself will rule and reign on the throne of David. Literally, the people that will live on earth, that will have children here on earth, they will see Christ face to face. 
Can you imagine living back in the day when Jesus Christ came the first time? Literally, Emmanuel, God with us, walked the earth. The dusty trails of Galilee, they saw him face to face. We'll see him face to face too one day. When we gather on Sunday mornings, we're supposed to be meeting with God, aren't we? And, you know, the great challenge of our day is to strip away all the layers of filth and foolishness that have accumulated throughout the week in order to meet with God who is holy. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army in the 1800s, made a prediction concerning faith in the future. He said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. Heaven without hell. Well, I don't know about you, but he seems to hit the bullseye real clearly. He nailed it. He lived back in the 18th century, and, and the mid-1800s kicked off this Salvation Army, and through the years, all the way up till 1912 when he passed away, he was seeing what was transpiring and taking place. And can I tell you, he saw what many may not have seen. He saw the condition of the church down the road, and here we are, pretty clearly, right where he predicted We are so distracted and distant. But by faith, we can see his face even today. But what a day that will be when faith will be turned to sight, when we'll be in constant, a constant state of worship and fellowship with the Creator God. A young father wanted to read a magazine, and he was kind of gotten home from work, and he was just trying to relax for just a few moments, and his little daughter, Vanessa, she just wouldn't stop with the questions. Some of you have young children, and they just start the questions, and it's just on. And finally, he tore a page out of the magazine on which he was, uh, which, uh, there was a, a printed on the page a map of the world. And he began to tear it into smaller pieces, and he gave it to Vanessa, and he said, now Vanessa, go into the other room and put this back together for Daddy. Well, after a few minutes, Vanessa came back and handed him the map, all taped together, and ah, it was kind of, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was, man, she did a great job, and she did it so quickly, and he began to look at it, and he was astonished, and he was like, what in the world? How did you finish this so quickly? Oh, she said, on the other side of the paper is a picture of Jesus. So when I put Jesus back like he belonged, then everything else just kind of came together. You know what? When we get a glimpse of Jesus' face, everything starts to come together. Amen. You know, one of the problems we're having today in our Christian lives so, many, so often is that we're not seeing Christ. Remember over in the book of Hebrews, he says, looking unto Jesus. The problem is we can't see Christ, and we have to only see him by faith. He's not literal. We're not going to see him like we see one of each other, but the fact is he's just as alive, and he's just as real as he's ever been and always will be, and the truth is, is that we've got to get a glimpse of Jesus if we want everything to come together. Our marriages are falling apart. Our children are going astray. Our churches are crumbling at the very root and foundation. My friend, it is all a result of not seeing the face of Jesus Christ. 
Oh, we've got to see the face of Christ. What's going to make that such a wonderful day? We'll see him face to face. Not only that, but do you know what will make that such a wonderful day? There'll be no more tears. Look at verse 4, Revelation 21, verse 4. The Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Boy, what causes tears? You say, boy, what doesn't? I mean, let's face it, when we really think about tears, we think of death. We think of sorrow. We think of just pain, suffering. Oh, I know that you can have tears from joy, but that's usually the exception to the rule. That's not normally the rule. The fact is, is that when we think about sorrow, we think about tears, we think about sorrow and pain and suffering. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible tells us where that death came from. It says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. What it's saying is that there in the Garden of Eden all those years ago, when God placed Adam and Eve there, he said, you can eat of every tree of the garden except the one that's in the midst. The day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Oh, they didn't physically die that day after eating of that tree. They spiritually died, though. They weren't complete, nor were they whole any longer. Oh, instead of having a connection with God as they did before, walking closely with Christ in the garden, instead now they find themselves separated from God because of sin. God certainly makes provision for them by killing an animal and shedding blood and ultimately giving them coverings. But the fact is that they recognized their nakedness and they knew that they were unjust and unholy before a righteous God. And death entered into the world because of sin. There were no tears before sin entered the world. There was no sorrow before sin entered the world. There was no heartache before sin entered the world. May I remind you that there is nothing good about Satan and there's nothing good about sin. There's not one thing that you're going to benefit from if you'll give your life to Satan and sin. The truth is you need to give it to Jesus Christ, the Savior, and you need to surrender and submit yourself to Him wholly, completely, and give yourself to Him and His commandments. In doing so, you will live a life that is pleasing to God and you will be pleased yourself. I'm not saying there won't be troubles and trials along the way, but you'll have a Savior that will go through those troubles and trials with you we got to see him face to face, yes. But can I tell you that, oh boy, there'll be no more tears. You say, well, how's that possible? God's going to take care of all that sin. Thomas Andrew Dorsey was a musician, a composer, and evangelist. In August of 1932, Dorsey was on top of the world. We're not talking about Tommy Dorsey. We're talking about a black composer. We're talking about a black preacher. You don't even, probably never heard of him. But listen to his story. In August of 1932, Dorsey was on top of the world. He had recently been hired as a director of the gospel course at Pilgrim Baptist Church in Chicago. Things were taking off for him and his young bride. 
He was about to become the father of their first child, of, a, of, a, of, their, of the first child. He was, to be, he was also to be the future soloist of the future soloist at a very large revival meeting that was going to be taking place. He really didn't want to go to the meeting because his wife, Nettie, was in her last month of pregnancy. And, and, and of course, it was just their first child. And, and, and he was very hesitant and he was concerned. But there were a lot of people that were expecting him to be in St. Louis. Having his wife's support and her encouraging him to go, he still felt rather nervous, but he headed off to St. Louis nonetheless. The meeting was going great as the crowd called on him to sing again and again, and it was just going so well. When finally he sat down, a messenger boy ran up with a Western Union telegram. Thomas, of course, took that telegram out of his hand, and he began to open it quickly, and, and, and the, it posted on the yellow sheet were the words, Your wife just died. He raced back to Chicago as quickly as he could. But not only had he lost his wife, but 24 hours later, his son died also. The double funeral took place at the Pilgrim Baptist Church. Dorsey later said, I looked down that long aisle which led to the altar where my wife and baby lay in the same casket. My legs got weak. My knees would not work right. My eyes became blind with a flood of tears. Dorsey would ultimately fall into a very deep depression. So badly that he began to question his faith and he thought of giving up the gospel ministry. Dorsey's friend, a fellow course director, Theodore Fry, he persuaded him to accept a dinner invitation. And After dinner, Dorsey meandered about over the grand piano a little bit and he began to play the hymn must jesus bear the cross alone he began to sing the lyrics softly to himself there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me he began to play variations of the hymn's melody he added some new lyrics even he called fry over and he began to sing blessed lord take my hand fry stopped and said no man no Call him precious, Lord. Dorsey tried it again, replaced blessed with precious. That does sound better, he told Fry. That's it. He returned home, and in the next day or two, he finished the song. Dorsey debuted, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, for the Pilgrim Baptist Church congregation at a Sunday worship service. The lyrics filled the sanctuary that morning. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Boy, the congregation was so moved by the song. Even Dorsey was shocked at how it impacted them. Dorsey would go on to follow the Lord, but 
May I say that the sting of sin had left not only him, not only the congregants, but every last one of us weary and worn to some degree or another. But one day the last tear will be wiped away. One day there'll be no more tears. For sin will have been eradicated. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. <laughs> what a day that will be. What a day that will be. Our passage continues in verse 5 by saying, For the former things are passed away. Well, what's, making that, what's going to make that day so wonderful? The former things are passed away. What he's saying is all things will be new. Could I just list a couple of those? First of all, we notice in verse 1 and 2, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Right off the bat, we see there's going to be a new heaven. A heaven without the marks of sin and without the marks of Satan. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I could never hope to describe a place like that or to illustrate it very accurately, but Think about with me for just a moment, an extremely humid day, a day with oppressive heat. Then comes a cold front that brings a, a, just a, 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 a quick downpour of rain. When the sky clears and the sun returns, you step outside to a new day. The air is cool and crisp and light. It smells fresh and clean. A new day has dawned. Can I tell you, it's going to be unbelievable when sin has been eradicated and the, the, the clouds of sin have been wiped away and all the weight of, of the, our sin and guilt and shame is gone forever and ever and ever, so to speak, and all we have is His precious face, His presence in the new heaven. Not only a new heaven, but He says, and there'll be a new earth. In Romans 8, 22, the Bible says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Someone says, why does God allow tsunamis? Why does God allow these horrible, horrible natural disasters? Why God permits all of that? I'll tell you, God never intended for that to happen. The truth is, is that sin brought that about. And not only is your body and mine aging and ultimately dying because of sin, but the earth in which we live is being disintegrated and destroyed as a result of sin, like a cancer eating it up. The Bible says literally, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The whole creation is corrupted. The whole creation groaneth. It's not God's fault. If anybody's fault, it's ours. Because of sin. The fact is, is that God is just that gracious to allow the celestial ball to continue and us to live on it. He goes on also, though, to say, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. Not only a new heaven and a new earth, but there'll be a new Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, the Bible says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
It's interesting to me that we have a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. We also know that there are three peoples in the Bible mentioned. There's the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. Do you know that the church will reside in New Jerusalem? Do you know that Israel will reside on the earth because that's where Jerusalem is? So where will the Gentiles be? Populating the universe. Can I tell you there's a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem? It's an amazing thing to think about. Simply amazing. But not only will there be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem in that day, There'll be a new body. You'll have a new body. I'll have a new body. Now, mine's not bad. <laughs> but yours are really broken down. <laughs> Man, won't you be glad? I know I will to get that new body. And some of the young people are like, I like mine now. Yeah, wait for about 30, 40 years. When you can't see like you used to, you can't hear like you used to, and all of a sudden your leg goes, oh, why'd that happen? I didn't do anything. You ever have those? The other day I was carrying something in from the car. It was just, uh, uh, well, I can't remember what it was now. I was, no, I wasn't carrying it. I was carrying something out for the baby. Uh, I, I, was able, I was putting a car seat in for the baby, and all these women are running around carrying car seats all the time. I'm carrying it like this. I'm like, and I'm like, oh, no, what is that? Oh, my goodness. I couldn't put it down. I had something else on my other hand. I'm like, oh, this is not good. And I finally set it down, and it's like this sharp pain's running through my, my, between my elbow down my hand. I'm like, what in the world's going on? I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to a new body. Man, when you're young, you lift weights, do all kind of stuff, jumping jacks. Man, you're good to go. You don't even feel it. Maybe if you do, it doesn't last very long. You feel good again. Man, I don't know, it feels like me if I just walk around the block too fast. The next day I'm feeling, what happened to my back? Man, I'll tell you what, it's, what's going on? Oh, oh, that knee. Oh. You, anybody, can anybody identify here? But a new body, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Man, we see Jesus Christ's resurrected body, and we recognize him there with the disciples, and before we know it, they're standing around, and boom, there he is in their midst. He says, ah, let's go ahead and eat some fish. Man, they'll be able to eat, but he ain't getting... You, you know what I mean? There's no indication that he's going to be putting on any of that. He can keep eating it. You know, my son's pretty young and he's pretty good shape, but he can eat whatever he wants. It doesn't seem like he gains any weight. We'll stop right there. But anyway, you know how he gets the order you get. Your metabolism slows down. Things don't turn out. But boy, when we get that new body, like Jesus Christ's glorified body, we'll be able to eat and drink and travel and move and go. Wow. What a wonderful day that's going to be. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. We shall see him face to face. There'll be no more tears. No more tears. And all things will be new. 
There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky. <laughs> no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day, that will be. What a day, sing it with me. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. You know, when we think about that day, when we think about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, I mean, the idea that we'll see him face to face. There'll be no more tears. All things will be new. There's two thoughts. One, that's only true for the believer. Amen. It's only true for the one who in this life recognizes that Jesus Christ was Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus Christ literally came from heaven and took his place on a cruel cross and there with nails in his hands and feet he suffered bled and died for you and I he took our place on Calvary so that we could escape the penalty of sin and the Bible says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved we have to come before God and humble ourselves and bow before him in our hearts and say, Lord Jesus, I am that sinner you died for. If it wasn't for you, I would burn in a place called hell forever and ever and ever. I need your forgiveness and I need your mercy. Oh God, forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. So that's what has to happen first. But then as a believer, this thing I keep thinking about is this. All those new things, all those glorious things, not only do we have salvation in this life, we have eternal life. Not only do we have Christ living in us, but we'll see him face to face one day. This isn't just a tour on earth. This is an eternal tour, and it's all a direct result of the goodness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, after everything he's done for us, why wouldn't we want to be better for him? Why wouldn't we want to honor the Christ that took our place, that literally left heaven and died in our stead? Why wouldn't we how is it that we could be so selfish to claim our lives as our own, even though we've been bought with a price? May God help us today, as believers, to remember what a day that will be. And because I have that day to look forward to, I will give him myself today. In Romans chapter 12, as we close, he simply says, 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. God's not asking Mark O'Donnell to die on a cross today. He's asking me to live a crucified life. God's not asking you to die on a cross today. He's asking you to live a crucified life. I present myself to you, Lord. Do with me as you please. You bought and paid for me on Calvary. And you have extended to me such hope. What a day that will be, Lord. Because it's such a glorious day that you have promised. I promise to give you my days here. Are you lost without Christ? Do you not know Jesus as your Savior? Settle that today. If you do, then let's surrender our life to him completely. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we've had just around the word. A short time, but Lord, a, I believe a profitable time. A time where we were encouraged by the hopeful promises that you've extended to us and the reality that you make us aware of. Thank you so much for what we have to look forward to. And may our life today reflect that hope that we have tomorrow. Lord, there may be those in our midst that do not know Christ as Savior and have never humbled themselves before you and admitted their guilt and their sin and their shame and come to you asking for your forgiveness, your mercy and grace, inviting you into their life as Savior. Maybe they need to trust you today as their Savior and Lord. If they've never done that, I pray, Lord, that they would just, in a moment when the music plays, step out into the closest aisle, make their way to the front, see Brother Kavanaugh, who will connect them up with a woman if they're a woman, a man if they're a man, and they can show them from the Word of God very quickly how to trust and receive Christ. Because, Lord, if you brought them down that aisle, they probably already see the need to do so. Now they just need to know how. And, Father, for the believer today, may we come to an altar and say, Lord, everything you've done for me and everything you're going to do deserves my allegiance, my loyalty, and my devotion. I surrender my life to you. You're not asking me to die on a cross. You're asking me to live a crucified life, and that's what I'm going to strive to do today. As of today, I'm going to do my best with your help to do it. I'm going to change some things as you would lead me. I'm going to live my life for you. Father, bless us now in this time of invitation. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.